Thank you for tuning in today. My name is Frankie Mazapika. The title of the message is Throw Your Stone. Throw Your Stone. Now, some of you are already ahead of me. You, you know uh, the story of David and Goliath, and so you know that that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so let me just dive right into it straight away, and uh, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read verse 40, 46, 48, and 49. Now, if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can download the Celebration Church app. Just go to the App Store, type in Celebration Church TW. All of my sermon notes are right there in the app, and the scripture that we are going to be going over is right in the app. But this is what the scripture says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 40. It reads like this. And David, he, when David went to the stream, actually it reads like this. He picked up a rock from the stream and he put it in his shepherd's bag. Armed with only his shepherd's staff and a sling... He started across the valley to fight the Philistine. When he was standing before him in verse 46, he says this. He goes, today, listen to the confidence. Today, the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you. And I will chop off your head. And I will take the dead bodies of your men and feed them to the birds and the wild animals. And then it goes on to say that as Goliath began to move towards him to attack, David abruptly, he quickly ran towards the Philistine and began to fill his sling. The very last verse, it reads like this. And David took a rock out of the shepherd's bag. He placed it within his sling and he hurled it and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The rock sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face first to the ground. And you know the rest of the story. He ran up to Goliath and he chopped his head off. I want to talk about three points in that passage. The first, and these are my major points. The first point is when David picked up five smooth stones. The second point is when God conquered Goliath. And then my last and final major point will be to encourage you to throw your rock. So let's dive right into it. When David picked up five smooth stones, uh, it's fascinating to me that he uh, picked up five. Now, before I talk about the significance of five, I have a friend of mine that went to the valley that they fought in. And uh, it's the valley of, it's E-L-L-A-H. Let me try to pronounce it. It's 
uh, Ayla. Is that per- does that sound right? I'm trying to learn Spanish. I've been taking Spanish lessons for two years, and so now anytime I see a double L, I always think why. So I want to say Ayla, but uh, move now. I don't know how to say it in English, so <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say here. Uh, but nevertheless, he picked up one of the stones. I am 100% sure that he was not supposed to grab a stone because I've been to Israel and they make it abundantly clear that if everybody picks up a stone, there's going to be no stones here. Uh, but anyway, he picked up a stone and he gave me one. Um, and I'm certainly not going to return it, but I'm holding one of the stones and uh, it's about the size of a golf ball. Um, it's got, let me see here, one, two, three, four, five. It's got five sides to it. And it's It's noticeably smooth on each side. And so when he picked up five smooth stones, the Bible says that it was with the first stone that he hurled at Goliath. And I'm going like this because in our day we got these slingshots that shoot like this. But in their day there was a pocket of of leather and there was two leather strips like like shoelaces and they would put the rock inside of this sling and they would go like this and throw it now what is said is and they know this because historians have been in caves and have seen drawings of people slinging rocks into the air and hitting birds uh they were incredibly accurate But for many years, historians and theologians have tried to figure out the significance of grabbing five stones. Now, the most popular is from a prophetic point of view, meaning that Goliath had four other brothers, and he was just grabbing four extra just in case those four other giants came running out and he was ready to knock them down as well. And that is, that is likely to be true. However, there's also a practical possibility that he knew that he would probably knock him down and hit him with one stone. He had been practicing his entire life, and he knew that, I believe I can knock him down with one shot. But he grabbed four others because he knows his averages. And he knows that, hey, I'm not perfect. And my goal is to knock him down. My goal is not to hit him with the first shot. My goal is not to be perfect. My goal is to win. And he gave himself margin for error. He gave himself grace. He knew that he wasn't perfect and he wasn't going to stop in the middle of the battle because he messed up. He missed. The Bible really doesn't have a topic or a passage of giving yourself grace. We know that the Lord gives us grace, and that alone is a far leap. 
Grace and mercy are two different things. When we come before the Lord, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says that we come before the throne of grace, and when we pray, we should come boldly with confidence in every time we receive mercy and grace. Every time. Every time you pray, you receive mercy and grace. Mercy forgives you for everything that you've ever done. That happens every time you pray. Now, grace gives you strength where you're weak. Grace is the acknowledgement of, I know that you are made from dust. In Psalms 103, verse 15, actually 14, it says this. He goes, I remember how you were formed. I know that you were made from dust. In other words, when you make a mistake, I'm going to give you mercy and I'm going to give you grace because I know you have no chance of being as perfect as you want to be, as being as righteous as you want to be. So I'm going to give you that strength to be strong in the area where you're weak. And so thank you for the grace, Lord. And we look to others and we're like, I can give you grace. When you mess up, I recognize that you're not perfect and I can give you grace. But giving ourselves grace, now that's a completely different ball game. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I will think of something stupid I did. Stupid, I said, right in the middle of the night, and I say out loud, oh, Jesus. It happened 20 years ago. Have you ever been there? Say yes. Come on, help me out. Say yes. If you've never been there, just lie and make me feel better. If you've ever been there, say yes. Help me. Yes. We have problems forgiving ourselves, especially if we feel like we took a detour from God's plan and now we're believing that our entire life is not according to God's plan because of the mistake that we made. And so when a preacher, a friend, a family member, a loved one says, look, in, a, in their own words, in my own words, we refer to Philippians 1.6 where it says that God will make, per no, it says this, God will be sure that all of his plans for you will be completed. That every plan, that his plan, some way, somehow, in spite of the fact that we make all these crazy mistakes. You can look at somebody and say, what were you thinking? And then you look in the mirror and go, what were you thinking? And the Lord says, I am going to be sure that the things that I've planned for you. Now we may take the, the straight road ends up being a figure eight. But the Lord makes perfect. He gives you grace. But to say I'm going to give myself grace. To be able to say Frankie you are human. Give yourself a break. This is a word for somebody in this room this morning. You're human. You were made from dust. Give yourself some slack. Give yourself some slack.
You were made from the dirt of the ground and you're inside of this body. You're inside of, there, there, you're inside of this skin. You, you're like a, like a, a big dirt bag. <laughs> you're a dirt bag, but you're special. Lord Jesus, help me. I, I need to give myself grace right now. Give yourself some grace. Second point I want to talk about, first point being give yourself some grace. And the second point is that the Lord conquered Goliath. Did you hear what he said in verse 46? He says this, he goes, today... The Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you. In other words, there's a partnership. But the hard part, God says, I got him. Now, when David said, I will kill you, and I will chop off your head, you and I could have chopped off his head. God put him on the ground. He conquered him. And he caused his rock to be guided with his finger. You know, a rock being planted into a skull. Do you know how hard that rock had to be thrown? How it had to be uh, hurled? You've all seen the pictures of those Roman soldiers, the, the helmets they wore. There oftentimes you could only see their eyes and their mouth. It, it came down. The force and the accuracy to get in that small crack to split in there. The Lord's finger had to be on that rock. The Lord's finger. Can I just say that the Lord's hand is so much on your life that he literally guides you and protects you. He guides you. Come on, if you receive that, he guides you. Now, for those of you in the room that may think into yourself, preacher, it's your job to get us hype. But the reality is, is, that's not the story of my life. When I look back, I don't see the Lord guiding me. I don't see myself skipping from mountaintop to mountaintop. I would say to you, the fact that you're here right now is a testimony of God's faithfulness. The Bible says this, that David started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Your greatest battles are in the valley. Your greatest victories are in the valley. You don't look back and say, when I was having the time of my life, when I was having the time of my life, I got through the hardest season of my life. It doesn't happen. It's an oxymoron. But when you are in the darkest season of your life, that's when you look back and share your testimony. In those moments when you thought your entire life 
was over. That's the testimony you tell the most. You don't go around telling people, oh, 15 years ago, I was living the time of my life, and the person leans in to listen to you, and you go, that's the end of the story. No, 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 no. Where you spend your time is when you talk about the valley. And why is that? Because now you're standing here in that worst moment of your life. You don't know how you got from the valley to where you are, but God guided you to make sure you got out. Come on, put your hands together for that. And remember this. You don't know how you got out of it. And you don't know how you're going to get out of the valley that you're in now. But the same God that got you out of the last valley, the last 20 valleys, the last 50 valleys, when you thought that valley was impossible to get out. And now you're in another valley and you think this is an impossibility. I'm dealing with morons all around me. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Those morons around you, you just stay in your lane. That's bad English, but great theology. You stay in your lane and allow God to conquer it, rip out that heart of stone, and put in a heart of flesh. Come on, help me out. Last and final point for this morning is, what is last and final point? Throw your rock, the title of the message, my God. I want you to throw your rock, I want you to do your part. Frankie, do your part. Move, pray, do something. But we got to make sure that we're throwing the right rock. What do I mean by that? Oftentimes, we throw the rock at someone that they first threw at us. You're disrespectful to me? <laughs> hey, baby, I can be disrespectful to you. You want to be rude to me? I invented rude. You want to throw rocks at me? You want to insult me? I got a pile of rocks sitting right next to me. You want to start this? Go ahead, start it. I can promise you this, sugar bear, I will finish it. <laughs> Are you with me? I can promise you that. How far does that ever get us? Have we ever truly solved a problem like that? And We've ruined a lot of relationships like that. A heated discussion that should last 30 minutes end up lasting 30 days, 30 hours. There's some people in this world that if you saw them at a restaurant, you'd walk out of that restaurant. And if you had to go to Taco Bell instead of Olive Garden, you would do it. You'd eat dirt before you sat next to them in a restaurant. Why? Because we traded rocks. There's certain rocks that are going to do nothing but hurt us. They promise us they'll work. Many of us know, or probably everyone knows, that story Humpty Dumpty. Uh, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. 
Humpty Dumpty, all the king's men and all the king's horses could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Now that childhood or nursery rhyme, I should say, that nursery rhyme always depicted Humpty Dumpty as a big egg that sat on a wall. But if you do a shallow dive into history, you'll find out that Humpty Dumpty was never an egg. Humpty Dumpty was a poem written by the English Civil War in 1640. In 16, I think it was 1640 to 1644. It was the English Civil War with um, the first king. It was, uh, I believe it was uh, King Charles I. And he decided that he wanted to rule without parliament. Uh, parliament is the equivalent of the United States' Senate or Congress. It would be like the president today making an announcement. The Senate is out. The Congress is out. I'm ruling the United States by myself. And so... <laughs> I, I can't even repeat what, what I just heard. Um, this is not a political sermon, so help me to, help me to stay focused here. <laughs> You're not welcome to the second service. <laughs> so Humpty, <laughs> Humpty Dumpty was actually a cannon that sat on top of the wall for King Charles I. And, and he and his army was referred to as the royalists. And the people who were attacking him were called the parliament... Help me. Parliament... Parliamentarist? Parliamentarian. That's what I'm looking for. Anyway... There was a war, and, and what the royalists did is they set a cannon on top of the wall. And every single time their opponent began to attack them, they would shoot this cannon. And uh, they, they couldn't even get close to the royalists. They couldn't even get close to King Charles I. Couldn't even get close to him. Because there was this massive cannon that sat on the wall, and they called it Humpty Dumpty. After 30 days, uh, the, the ones that represented Parliament, um, they couldn't get any closer. And so they, they decided that they would get out their own cannon and shoot at the base of the wall that Humpty Dumpty sat on. Now Humpty Dumpty, you'd put these big rocks inside of the cannon and it would shoot out. But they started shooting the bottom of the wall. Now you're ahead of me. The cannon, Humpty Dumpty, fell to the ground. And all of the king's men, all of the cavaliers is what they called them, all the king's men and all the king's horses could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. The end of the story is um, they were defeated. 
And England today now has a parliament uh, that rules along with the king and the queen. But they could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Why? Because they were throwing rocks that they should never have been throwing. They were throwing rocks back and forth because their own agenda was being challenged. When our agenda and our plan and our vision of how our life should be going is being challenged, we feel a sense of threat and we will do whatever we have to do to overcome that threat. If it's a person, we'll give them a piece of our mind. If it is a closed door in regards to a business, we will kick that thing and call them all devils for locking that door. We will work and we will even work harder. I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, is there ever a time when you're not working? You work in the morning, you work in the afternoon, you work in the evening. There's never a time. All of that, I don't know what it's driven by, but I do know that there's no confidence that the Lord is going to pave your way before you. Can I just tell you that the Lord will pave your way before you, but you have to, you have to back up and say, God, I am not strong enough to do this myself. I need a miracle. Do you receive that today? I hope the word of the Lord has encouraged you today, but I, I know, I know that some way, somehow, the video that I'm about to play will encourage you. It's hearing testimonies of healings, physical healings that are clearly miraculous is the greatest source of encouragement of my life. When someone doesn't share their testimony, they're actually stealing or withholding encouragement to someone else. If you spell encouragement with an I instead of an E, it's to put in courage. And if you don't share your testimony then the opportunity to put in courage never happens. Typically, the enemy will come to our mind and give us a lot of reasons on why not to share your testimony. He will say things like this, Ah, you're just bragging. You're just bragging about your life, so stop doing it. Oh, don't do that. They're going through a hard time. You're going to discourage them. Don't share your testimony because what you're celebrating may come back. You're in a horrible season right now, so why would you testify of something that you to be good. That's an old story. Why don't you share a new story? I want to say that any one of those thoughts are thoughts of the enemy because he knows that your remembrance of what God has done 
is your strength to begin to move forward on what the Lord will do again. When we share testimonies, I have to be completely transparent. We share a healing testimony every single Sunday. And usually, most of the time throughout the week, I think to myself, Frankie, we've been doing this for three years. Do something different. And I think to myself, no, no, no. No, no, no. We have been praying for years to see healings. We want to continue to see healings, but we will not continue to see God work miraculously if we don't give Him praise and honor for the miraculous works that He has already done. Now, it is not super likely that the person who's going to testify had the same challenge that you have today. But if God can do a miracle in their life, He can do a miracle in your life. It is as easy for God to do a miracle in your life as it is for you to breathe. Take a look at this. So about a month ago, I started experiencing a lot of pain in my left arm. It would start at my elbow and it would radiate through my fingers. I thought nothing of it for a while, but it progressively got worse and worse and worse. I didn't even tell my husband one of those things where I thought it would eventually just go away. Maybe it was stress. And last night, oddly enough, it was extremely bad to the point where I was having to shake my arm. There was a numbness and a tingling feeling all the way to my fingers to the point where it was slightly concerning. I eventually went away. This morning, I got up. I didn't feel the pain. I came to church and pastor had a word of knowledge for someone who had tingling or radiating pain in their left arm. I stood there and I thought, oh, well, it's intermittent pain, so it's probably not for me. And I kept looking around. Pastor Frankie was very adamant that it was someone. And finally, I started to feel the pain in the moment. And I knew in that moment that the Lord was telling me, this is for you. So I went down to the altar. Pastor prayed over me right there. And as he was praying, I felt the pain as if it was being pulled out of my fingertip. And where it once was tension and and tense, it became hollow. And I just felt this calm, cool feeling all the way to my fingertip. I still feel it right now. And I just give all the glory to God. I am healed. Come on, let's stand up and give the Lord a standing ovation. He deserves that. Come on, give it to him. Come on, he deserves it. Give it to him. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, a gift that's talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. And it's a, a gift called a word of knowledge. And it's my belief that all of us have this gift. You have it right now. Uh, just to give you a few examples. Uh, and let me define it. A word of knowledge uh, is when God shows you something that's happening in the moment. A prophetic word is when he shows someone what's going to happen in the future. 
It's my belief that everyone in this room has word of knowledge. To give you an example I like to use most is have you ever been talking to somebody and you're looking at them and you think, you lying dog. Have you ever walked up to somebody and thought to yourself, I need to hold my wallet when I'm talking to you. Some people you can just look at and you don't trust them. Sometimes you say something to yourself and deep down inside you know it's not true. I remember I was really, really low one time. And I went to Chris and Denise's house and I was just being transparent. I said, man, I feel like... I feel like... the Lord's mercy and His love for me is getting exhausted. And before I could finish the sentence... This is after Chris and Denise had their accident. Denise said to me, Oh, God's not like that. I'll never forget those words. That was probably 12 years ago. God's not like that. The minute she said that, I could feel. And the minute I said that, she knew. That's a word of knowledge. I mean, it just pops out. And it's at this portion of the service where I begin to lean in and I say, God, who do you want me to pray for? Because in a moment, our prayer partner is going to come down. Miracles happen all the time when they pray for people. But I ask, who do you want me to pray for? And I don't want to just pray for someone random. I, I, I lean in. I'm like, God, give me a word of knowledge and tell me who you want me to pray for. And if I'm right, if I'm wrong, then... Nobody will come down for me to pray for him in that category. And if and that's and if you go to church here, you hear me say it all the time. I just go, well, I guess I was talking to myself. I was trying to hear from God on your behalf, and, and I was talking to myself. That's when I have to give myself grace. But when I'm right, Things like that happen. Not every Sunday, I'm sorry, not everyone we pray for gets healed. Sometimes they get prayed for the 57th time and then they get healed. But every Sunday, people get healed. That's why we have a video every Sunday. 